Welcome to the latest episode of the Daniel Energy Partners In Basin Observations podcast. Today, as usual, we're on the road, but today we're in the woodlands with Travis Simmering and Dave Bosco from AMP, their new company, which uh, stands for Accelerated Mobile Power. We're going to learn a little bit about the new company and and, and both of their backgrounds, and you know, we're just going to start from there. So, Dave, want, like. Whoever wants to start, why don't you tell a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into the questions. Yeah, and I'm going to jump in, yeah. as always. But you're not really a new company. I mean, you're a new company, but you're not new to this industry. So if you could just, just make sure you elaborate a little bit yep. about you have a long history in this business. So yeah, Dave, Dave, why don't you go first, and then Josh. Yeah, so first, uh, Bill, John, thanks so much for being here today. Um, I started off my career in around 2005 timeframe, shifting from the IT industry. I originally was a network engineer, that's what I went to school for, and um, started working for an oil and gas equipment repair company and transmission rebuilder here in Houston. And uh, really quickly kind of got the IT stuff taken care of, got bored and said, hey boss, you know, what's this oil and gas business about? Can you teach me? So kind of ran me through the rigmarole of working in the shop, working parts, service, getting into sales. And then they kind of cut me loose and said, go and get a bunch of business. And so that's what I started doing around 2006 timeframe is uh, doing business development, mostly around uh, pulling units and workover rigs, uh, well-serviced equipment. Uh, until around 2008, 2010, we started having the advent of unconventional uh, frack operations that started and really uh, cut my teeth in, in the frack business then. Um, following that, around 2000, I guess it was 17 timeframe, uh, moved over from uh, that business over to MTU Rolls-Royce and uh, ran business development globally for them for oil and gas, focusing on electrification of oil and gas applications. And um, following that, came over to Dynamis Power Solutions, where I was director of business development uh, for about two years. And uh, here we are today at Accelerated Mobile Power. Okay. Travis. Thanks, John. Yeah, so this is Travis Simmering, uh, CEO for AMP. Um, started my career way back when with GE. Um, went to school for uh, engineering and then right out of school joined GE in their power division, uh, spent about 10 years with GE and then moved over to ABB. And then about four years ago, joined Dynamis, which is part of the same family of companies as Accelerated Mobile Power uh, to start up the commercial side of the business. Spent four years really developing some oil field power packages and applications. And then very recently here, we decided to spin off Accelerated Mobile Power as a contract power generation service business and just excited to jump into what we're doing at AMP and how we can help the oil field uh, in the electrification journey. Okay. Thank you. All right, so let's jump into the market today, right? As we sit here from the cheap seats, we see rig count falling, we see completion activity slowing, pricing pressures and OFS, broadly speaking, right? Mm -hmm. But your market right now is different. Yes. Tell us what you guys are seeing today. Yeah, so I would, I, I'll start off. I would say what we're seeing today is electric fleets are in a different class of their own. Okay. Um, you know, if you look at during COVID times when the rig count, you know, went to absolute crap, uh, electric fleets were pretty much staying active, right? Uh -huh. You had these nice contracts where folks are getting the most efficient solution, lowest total cost to complete a well, 
saving a huge amount of money over you know traditional diesel-based assets. And the overall efficiency of how you can pump in an electric situation versus a mechanical conventional frack is, is very different as well. And so what we at least see is that you know the demand for electric frack um, is continuing to rise. Uh, you've got a lot of companies that are still putting out fleets. They've got strong contracts behind them. And they need power to go ahead and feed those fleets. And you know the power is not sitting on the sidelines waiting to be placed on a frack spread. It's super, super tight. Like the market is is insane on where the demand is versus where the supply is. There's a big you know imbalance. So we, we are definitely very bullish on where the industry is going to continue to move towards electrification and um, see many years ahead where we're gonna be providing power generation equipment uh, to those companies. And when you look at the electric frack market, we have the established players, which everybody knows. Um, and they are all pivoting more towards electric again. We all know that. What are you seeing on the periphery in terms of new market entrants? What, is there, are you seeing demand yet from people looking to, to step in? Yeah, so I got a call actually two weeks ago from a guy that's looking at buying um, a bunch of, you know, let's say speculatively built electric equipment okay. um, through, a, it was manufactured by a Chinese manufacturer. Right. And so he has put a deal together to go and buy these assets and is currently uh, looking for power. Mm -hmm. we're, we're having discussions with him. Now, the, the thing that we always hear is that there's no capital available <laughs> to people wanting to start businesses. But it seems like there might be alternative ways of getting financing. Can you speak to what you guys can provide and how you see those opportunities developing? Right. So we're offering contracted power where there's minimal capital outlay for the customers so they need to fund their electric fleet mm -hmm. and not have to worry about the power so when you look at an electric fleet you're probably talking about a third of the cost in the power and so to be able to take that money and potentially invest it in new fleets or not have to go get it financed uh, I think it offers an opportunity for some of those smaller players to enter the market but also for the larger players to maybe invest the money where they would like to and grow what they do best which is pressure pumping yeah, I, I, to be clear, I think most of our listeners know this, but I, I don't know if everyone kind of quite understands this. The electric fleet, it is not, the, the power generation is not necessarily tied to that fleet. Like, even the big guys do not own their power generation. So if you want, just tell us a little bit more about that. I think most people do know this, but it's nice to, I think, kind of walk through it a little bit. Yeah, the reality is that you know, electricity can be provided in a number of different ways to power these fleets. A lot of these big players have switch gear that will aggregate the power and get it out to all of their electric pumps. So whatever's plugged in on the other side, for all intents and purposes, I don't want to say they don't care, but they don't care, right? What they do really well is operate pressure pumping fleets. And what we do really well is provide power solutions in a number of different ways, whether it's turbines, uh, engines, um, supplementing with some grid power. I mean, there's there's a number of different ways you can do that. And as long as the pressure pumper is getting the right amount of power, right, consistently, reliably, um, then you know they can do what they do best. Okay. So when that startup guy calls you, Dave, mm -hmm. and says, "I'm looking to build a fleet, whatever, gonna need power," is he telling you what he wants, or do you say, "This is the package that is best for you"? Walk us through the sales process and what they should be aware of. That's a great question, John. So what we start off with asking is, tell us a little bit about how you're going to frack. What's right. your rate? What's your pressure? How many pumps do you have? How many blenders are you going to be running? Is there any ancillary equipment? You run an e-wire line. 
You need, you know, power for the company man to go ahead and have air conditioning in his in his uh, trailer. And we work that back. And then we go and calculate hydraulic horsepower. From hydraulic horsepower, we calcul- calculate megawatts or kilowatts. Right. And we land on a number based upon those variables the customer provides. And we provide them with a proposal for the solution that best matches efficiency, power density, as well as also flexibility for them you know, because not everybody has very large pads that they can just place unlimited pieces of equipment on, right? So you got to kind of ask some qualifying questions to understand, you know, how the customer is going to use the equipment, and then what does the location look like that they're actually going to put the assets on? Uh-huh. Okay. And so when that gentleman called you looking at starting a business, if he said tomorrow he signs the contract, when are you going to be able to get the first power solution to him for her? So right now we have assets ready for deployment in Q4 of this year. Okay. And that mm-hmm. pretty closely aligned with what he was looking to to achieve. You know, one of at least in his case, he's got a lot of other things he's got to figure out as far as labor. Right. And uh, we all know that's not, yeah. you know, uh, just there's not people sitting in the wings waiting to come in and work today. Right. It's, it's tough market. But to be fair, you guys also have large customers not to remain nameless if if a if a big guy was to come to you you know cold call and say hey yep. we need a solution what again s- similar time frame for yep. for someone like that too yeah absolutely q4 yeah. is really when our first assets are going to roll off that will go into the amp portfolio we'll be ready to operate those you know we've obviously got a lot of the pieces already built up through our family of companies. I mean, yep. Dynamis, our sister company, where we both just were at, has um, a lot of the expertise, a lot of the people, a lot of the support in place mm-hmm. uh, that allows us to kick this off. To your point, um, John, not like a startup. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot yeah. of pieces in place. And um, for us, it's, it's really helpful to be able to get started quickly and actually be able to roll into a number of assets and then after that. But so people understand, like you, there it's a family of companies, if you will. But you're really you are independent. You're not just providing services just to Evolution or Dynamics. You're targeting everybody. Yeah, really. We we started the the company to target external customers, yeah. right? But offer a solution that we weren't offering in Dynamics. So okay. at Dynamics, we we're selling packages, and really this opened up the opportunity to for customers that either number one can't buy the package because they can't get the capex or financing. And number two, and I say yep. probably more importantly, is maybe didn't have the expertise uh, to be able to run these packages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really just de-risks their overall operation. Um, and again, allows them to use the funding and use their resources in the way that they're best fit. Okay. And then, so you, you have, if, if I remember correctly, there was a news article that came out. I think you've got 271 megawatt of capacity. That's correct. Yep. Okay. So that's, call it five to six fleets of capacity, yep. government math, okay, here. So is that all, Q4, you now have, you're working for on six fleets, or is that, what's the, help, help us understand the scale, the speed of getting to the scale, just, and if I came to you, and then, sorry for the run-on question yep. here, but that's how we roll. If I said, I need, to, I want to get all 10 of my fleets using your power, when are you saying to me, all, we can have all those 10 ready to go? It's not all Q4. No. Yeah, I knew that's what I'm looking for, but I'm trying to understand. It, really, John, I would say the, the kind of bookends on it is Q4 is when our assets are going to start to be delivered and be ready to deploy. And right. then that continues throughout, you know, the next two to three years at a clip of maybe, you know, one to two, potentially three assets per quarter. Okay. 
you come from an engine background. If you're building your own Dave Bosco fracking, yep. what are you doing? So if, if Dave Bosco is building a uh, electric frack company, what I'm gonna want is the most efficient solution, the most power dense solution, the product that can come on, on location very quickly, mm -hmm. require minimal setup time, require very little maintenance in between those those stages or you know moves from, from location to location. But I'm also gonna want to have a mixture of some equipment in there because I also know there's some there's some variability in uh, frac applications too, right? You could be waiting on sand right. or water for mm -hmm. you know twelve to fourteen hours. And so what we what I would do myself is pick a solution that takes a very efficient large power generation asset, 35 right. megawatt turbine. Combine that with some gas resip or energy storage to be able to help with supplemental power whenever you know we have some derate that occurs in summertime, right. or you've got low load scenarios where you just need to go ahead and operate base load equipment uh, and not actually perform frac operations for a period, um, and give myself the optionality to also be able to integrate some grid power. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, you know every operator today. You go and have conversation from the small privates up to the big blue chip guys. They all want grid to be a part of their strategy. The amount of grid power that's going to be available is debatable. Mm -hmm. So what we think the right number is, and I think most of the industry has landed on there, is around 5 to 10 megawatts makes sense. That's where you've got you know, the, the transmission distribution and the substations that are going to have to be built out. There's a sweet spot for that because then after the well is completed, you then have five to ten megawatts that can be used in that basin or in that in that in that field for production applications, ESPs, compression, right? Right. So we would, what I would want to do is essentially have a a hybrid solution is, is the best way to, right. to land on it. That depending on what's best from an emissions and and cost per per kilowatt, if we right. want to you know drive it down to that, um, I want to have optionality. Okay. Now, you in terms of optionality, let's speak about amps customers from optionality. Mm -hmm. We all, we've been sitting here talking about electric frack, but the power can be used for multiple things within the field. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you're charged with business development. So I guess my question to you is how much of your time is spent talking to the frack company versus the land driller versus the compression versus the EMP? Walk us through your day and who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. Great question. So I, I would say right now, just based upon the assets that we're going to be getting in the next 12 months, electric frack, with service companies as well as EMPs is a lion's share of the time that's spent. Okay. Um, is going to be spent in um, talking with drilling contractors. You know the 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 assets that we are going to have in our in our fleet. Mm -hmm. um, we can take a very high efficient gas resip solution at 2.5 megawatts. Combine that with a two megawatt battery. Provide a distribution switch gear that has a transformer installed on it, mm -hmm. which allows us to take some type of supplemental power from the grid aggregate that on a bus and have have some intelligent fabric in the background that determines what the lowest cost of electricity and the lowest relative emissions are to deliver that power to the rig right. and um, that that's that's a, a big key strategy for us is is a drilling market because right. it's already electrified right if you yeah. look at drilling rigs I mean you know drilling rigs started to electrify in the 80s you right. know cat 398s and you know, old 900 RPM turners is, is what they were using. And um, it's very easy for us to transition those drilling customers or EMP customers that mm -hmm. want to provide electricity just like fuel, right. right? That's what we're trying to get people to understand is electricity is no different than diesel fuel. It's just, you know, different medium of getting there. Um, 
So, so we see the, the drilling market, production, compression, infield power being, being very strategic for us. Um, and also, if you look at those applications, they're tied to the grid in most cases in production, compression, and infield applications. So that gives the customer some optionality if we've got an agreement with them where they could decide they want to sell some electricity back to the grid. Yeah. The power generation required for frac versus drilling versus I'm running, I got a 200 producing wells on the field. Like what's the, yep. the power requirements? So if you're, if you're talking about frac applications, traditionally it's going to be between, it depends on the basin, right? right? So let's call it 24 megawatts to up, up to, in some cases, could be 40, 45 megawatts right. today. Yes, I'm actually yep. pushing the... Uh, yes, they are pushing yeah. the envelope pushing as far as power demand. Yeah. Uh, drilling is typically around 4 megawatts is what's connected to the rig. Most drilling applications are going to peak out around 3.6, 3.8 megawatts. Right. Compression, depending on, you know, what what style of compression it is. If it's full electric compression and you've got, you know, electric motors with VFDs tied directly into the compressors, you could be at five megawatts, you could be at 30, 40 megawatts. If it's just a mechanical compressor that they're using grid power to go ahead and and, um, uh, drive the cooling system for the compressor itself, that may be around 400 kilowatts to maybe three megawatts of power. So there is a, a wide mixture depending on the customer the assets that they have in field that they need us to plug into and power, um, as well as also you know their production numbers, right, from a volume perspective. And so when, when the average EMP person calls you, are they trying to solve for all of that, or are they just trying to solve for a portion of, you know, like the the the, the stuff that's going to be there in perpetuity, right? Yeah. Eventually the frack goes away. Go yeah, I think it's a good question. Most of them are calling from a specific area within the company so they've got their piece of it right i would say some of the larger ENPs are starting to look uh, a little more holistically about how they can leverage assets across different applications it almost always starts with completions because that's the largest yeah. chunk of the power right okay. so the 35 30 megawatts ish that's where they peak in their upstream operations right really and everything yeah. from there drops down and how they aggregate that afterwards is important, right? And so if they have a solution to be able to pull them all together, then you could be talking about, you know, using the potential frack power to provide production power down the road, right? Yeah, so you guys talked about this a little earlier, you know, assets coming, a majority of your assets coming on Q4. As you talk to potential customers, how are you thinking about bringing on more assets? Is that a, hey, you need to have something contracted before your guys are gonna bring it? Talk to me a little bit about how you guys are thinking about expanding the business. I, I think it's the way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty long roadmap in terms of the equipment we know is available okay. um, from our sister company and others in the market. Um, so we're looking at these initial, call it 270 megawatts, uh, between Q4 and probably Q2 of next year. Um, and then following that, we have a plan to expand um because we're really confident that we're gonna get contracted. Yep. We all know that there's a big um, supply gap that's happening in the power space. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if there's a real definitive press go on the next you know amount of power that we're gonna go contract. We just all feel like it's gonna be there, yep. right? And we're gonna to have to just probably six to eight months ahead of time 
be ready. The next builds, yeah, you're, right? you're so, seeing that supply gap is what yeah. you is. I mean, you guys wouldn't be like, doing this if yes. you didn't think that there was a supply gap for this and, out there. And really, what what is driving that is look at all the announcements, right? right. Whether it's next tier, Liberty Oil Field Services, Pro Petro, Pro Frac, we can go on and on. Right. Everybody that is getting into electric frac, and they're all talking about the pumps, the blenders, the mm-hmm. the distribution switchgear they're going to have. But nobody talks about the power generation. Right. So you kind of got to look, read between the tea leaves and go, okay, if they're not talking about power, they probably don't have the power figured out. So if they're going to deploy these electric frac, frac fleets, and let's say everybody wants to plug into the grid, uh-huh. like that's a big goal, but the grid is not there, they need electricity. So, right. And we want to make sure and have assets that are going to be the right fit at the right time to be delivered to these folks, and let's solve a problem for them. Mm-hmm. But when you do this, the business model, most of it is going to be leased Right. Yes. Okay. So, and, so what, and can you say what like, the maybe, typical durations are? Uh, yeah. Maybe? Yeah, I would say the the low end would be twelve months, and that's like really the low end. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the high end is somewhere around thirty six months. Okay. So three years. Okay. Um, and that's that's what I think we're seeing. I wouldn't say across the board in electric frack, but at least from the large oil field companies, that's what they're able. They're to comfortable get. with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then um, might be a touchy question, but if I'm pro petro. Right. Yep. You me, and I say, well, gosh, guys, I got PPG, lifecycle, Volta Grid. There's other people that are out there. Mm-hmm. You say, this is why us. Yes. Why us? Why? Yeah. Why amp? Why amp? Yeah, it really comes down to you know we 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 have a value proposition. The value proposition comes down to that you know you've got a trusted group of individuals that have been in this business for a very long time. Right. We understand what customers have to deal with when they have power. It's not as simple as you drop off the power on site. You don't ever have to touch it again. Right. There's maintenance that's required. You have to understand how to mobilize that equipment, how to rig it up and rig it down during certain operational conditions. There might be something that needs to be done to the equipment to go ahead and be able to give a little bit more power for a short period of time. There's some, you know, there, there's some, I don't want to call it tribal knowledge by any yeah. means, but, you know, that's that's the best thing I could equate it to is, is you've got to know how to run this equipment. And um, we, we bring to the table the expertise from an operation perspective, from a maintenance, strategic spare parts, data analytics tools that allows us to understand what this equipment is doing at all times, where it's located, where it's at in the maintenance schedule, alarms that may be going off that we want to go ahead and proactively mitigate risk before it creates a problem. Right. And that's not just something that you know any geek off the street can go ahead and do. You know, right. We've got yep. a depth of knowledge as well as uh, talent that is surrounded around that. And it's taken, it's taken a long time to build up that talent, right, but, Travis? Yeah, and the asset base. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we have between the family companies the largest power gen asset fleet, right? Right in the oil field by far, um, and so I think that that has allowed us to build up some of the things he's talking about in terms of spares, critical mm-hmm. inventory that others just it's hard to get right now. The supply chain is still constrained, especially in these large power generation assets. But again, going back to the initial salvo questions about the market softening, the yours isn't. So it doesn't sound like right now this is, hey, you need to drop your price 3% to win this work. You're not having those. It's really about quality and availability yep. today. Delivery is the biggest thing. Say it's, a, it's a scheduling conversation it's a, it's right now. Scheduling, okay. Yes. So what happens five years from now if everybody's built this stuff out? And it's a long ways off, and you're not faced with it today. Yep. But do you ever think about, like, Absolutely. you got four or five guys that have come to the business. What if three more come in? and how, Yeah. 
how do you protect yourself or yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty confident that because of the, the team that we've built up and the expertise we've built up, we're going to be able to deploy these assets, whether it's in oil and gas or power generation, right? I come right. from power generation background. Yep. The vast majority of the guys within our family of companies also came from a power generation background at some point. We know how to go deploy these for emergency situations. We know how to go to deploy these for a data center temporary build out, right? There's a ton of other industries that are experiencing power supply gaps mm -hmm. and so i don't see that problem getting solved in the next five years fair enough uh, mobile power generation is going to continue to be um, necessary so your business is good right now you're spending most of your time i presume in north america u.s yes do you spend any time looking at international opportunities not right now okay that's just because you're busy here yeah, I mean, there's exist, only a though? number of assets. So we keep talking about we, yeah. we're really long on assets. We, we've, yeah. we've got a really good supply relationship, all those things. But the reality is there's still only a number of these large gas turbines, engines, battery systems that we can supply. And for us, the most value is here in North America. So okay. to spread ourselves you know, thin for all intents yep, and purposes right. by working globally and in the U.S. with the number of assets we're going to have, I just don't think it makes any sense. And there's not really a need. Okay. Yeah. As you start off, does it make sense for you to concentrate in one basin or do you go wherever the customer tells you to go? Strategically, there are certain basins that we're going after. Yeah. And it, it really comes down to where, where are the EMPs wanting electric frack to be adopted. Um, but shoot, the Permian is, is the lowest cost to get oil out of the ground and deliver it very quickly to the market. And that's where everybody is focused, their investments as far as acreage, right? Okay. So I, I, I see the Permian's got a long run as far as uh, utilizing electric frac. Okay. Have you made the pitch to any potential customers that have said no? And if so, why? No. Um, we every, every single customer <laughs> is like, oh, my gosh, first off, thank you, God. Right. you guys are coming out with assets. We were really nervous because right. nobody else is investing in, in putting assets in the market today. Uh, second off, the scheduling question, when can you have it delivered? They share with us what their frac fleet deployment looks like, and we share with them what we can meet as far as a power generation deployment. In all fairness, we've gone and talked to the folks that we know have electric fleets that are either in the field or being built and have a real need for power. So, yep. you know, we haven't we haven't gone to that, let's say, next tier of folks that we don't maybe know as well or a little further down the road in terms of their deployment. So we knew the market well enough coming into this, right? That's why we started the business, knowing that there was a supply gap and where we were going to spend our time. So I don't know that that conversation will happen in the near term just okay. because so many of the big guys and companies yep. we've talked about here are going to need the power in the next call it 12, 18, 24 months. Okay. And then the uh, Dave, I know you and I have talked about this for over the years a lot, trying to track like who new companies are or what people are doing. I don't have my cheat sheet in front of me, so I'm probably going to muff this answer. This this, but I think we were looking at twenty four officially on order, like electric fleets or direct drive turbine type of uh, okay. I'm probably saying the wrong number here, but, but what do you think it's really going to be over the next three years in terms of the rollout? So I, I've I've exhausted myself with this this kind of calculus over the years and calculus is just an over under no, yeah. <laughs> and I, but i think by 2025 I, I really think the number is going to be around 40 to 60 spreads that are out there in the market that are either electric or direct drive turbine to your okay. point john and um 
if you look at all of the announcements that has happened from the big service companies out right. there and you just do some back of the hand math, it comes up to about 40 to 60 fleets right. is what they're talking about. And the demand is there from a market perspective, too. Sure. But how many, now, now using those numbers, yep. again, I'm putting in a spot, how many of those fleets will be with companies that do not exist today? Hmm. That's, a, that's a great question. I think that's where we're going to need to wait a year or so okay. uh, to be able to see that. Um, this, this one fellow that I, that I mentioned, I, that was an oddball. Fair I enough. really yep. did not expect, because you think about, you know, investment-wise, what does it take? To build not, not only a frack business, but an electric frack business. You've got skilled medium voltage technicians that you need, folks that are, you know, cracks when it comes to controls. Mm -hmm. uh, you need guys that understand, you know, how to very quickly mobilize and demobilize this equipment. And it doesn't set up like your traditional frack spread would, right? You know, if you've got a DGB fleet or just a, a tier two to tier four diesel fleet, you essentially roll it out on, on location, it's got fuel inside the trailer already mm -hmm. you're hooking up your low pressure your high pressure side some control communication go into your data van and pretty quickly you can be fracking on location uh, with an electric fleet there's a little bit more finesse obviously that needs to happen when you orchestrate those assets getting set up on site you've got cables that you have to run and that's not just something i think anybody uh, would be willing to accept the risk of going, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and buy an electric frack fleet and have it contracted in six months and have guys plugging it in. Mm -hmm. There's some serious thought that needs to go into it. And and I think from an industry per perspective, we don't need people running around willy-nilly doing what we've done in the past, right? You know, um, we've act li acted like drunk sailors, you know, spending tons of cash and taking on risk. It really has been to the detriment of our industry. It's eroded margin and prices at the service company level because then the EMP saw, hey, there's an oversupply on the market. I can start right. taking the screws, putting it to people's fingers, and you know it, it creates this really bad cycle. Um, so in, in my opinion, I hope that the approach is going to be a little bit more tempered getting into the you know the business period and folks are going to base their business off of you know fundamental economics as opposed to speculative craziness sure but there's an also another school of thought which is the continued consolidation of the frack market eventually leads to more you know returns improve over time and yes. thus mm -hmm. leads to companies entering the business particularly if there's a new source of capital via leasing of assets yep. which maybe didn't exist because you weren't leasing this stuff two years ago nope Right, so this is relatively new. Correct. Yeah, and that's that's a good way of putting it. It's a different form of financing yeah, yeah, for, yes. for for the frack companies. So Travis, what's been your biggest headache? I think that's a, a story you hear across the board is finding these type of individuals to operate the units um, and to work on the units. The, the beauty of what we have here between our family of companies is we recruit for a lot of those roles today, mm -hmm. right? We know where to find a lot of those individuals today. Um, and we have a lot of support um, internally to be able to go out and do as good a job as anybody to get those individuals. So, you know, even that one, I, you know, I can sleep at night knowing that, you know, we're probably going to do as, as good a job as anybody going out and finding those type of skilled um, personnel. So, I mean, you pretty much hit it from, from me. I like the, I like knowing about where you guys think how many fleets are going to be out there. Let me jump back in. Sorry. Because uh, <laughs> you do have the relationship evolution dynamis and now amp. Are you obligated to let Dynamis package for you, or could you go to someone else to package the equipment? 
Yeah, we could absolutely go to somebody else to package the equipment. Yeah. The reality is if we're looking to do a standard frack job, the 35 megawatt package that was built, sure. designed and built at Dynamis to serve Evolution initially and now the rest of the market is just the best fit for purpose solution for those type of items. Right. Now the reason I ask is, I mean, the customer is always right, right? That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. And if I just, my good friends over at XYZ, and I mm -hmm. say, Dave, I like your solution, but I want XYZ to do it because they're my buds, that doesn't create an issue. Well, I mean, they're they're going to ask us to go and buy an asset that doesn't fit our fleet profile. We're probably going to tell them, sorry. Yeah, we're not going to. We have a specific yeah. asset it's, that already exists for your application. Okay. Here's our delivery okay. date, and this is why you'd want that over the other solution. Absolutely. Okay. Well, at the end of the day, we're contract power business. So if there's a deal that makes sense and it's with power assets we're comfortable with, right. we would go get it and we go put it in service. If we're talking electric frack, the vast majority of those are going to have a DT35, 35 megawatt turbine coupled with other types of power generation just to manage supplemental power or, you know, to Dave's point, manage some of the grid right. power that's coming in, some of the new technologies that want to bolt on. So, The name Accelerated Mobile Power does not seem to suggest that you're going to be focused on microgrids, but you could do that. Yep. Right. Because yep. I think a mobile is being like mobile, or I think a grid is being kind of set. Stationary. Um, what's that opportunity for actually just build, helping a customer build out a grid where the apps, assets not mobile? So I, the the Dynamis assets, for example, they're all built for you know hypermobile applications, but can right. be installed in semi permanent or permanent applications for long durations. It really just depends on looking at a contract and a, an opportunity with the customer, and is it a right fit? Okay, you so know, you're not opposed to doing that if it's the right fit. Absolutely okay. not. No. Got it. And then, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of something, something else here. The only yeah. other what, thing what, I was what, thinking about, John, was to your question on the different type of assets that we could go out and get in the market. Yeah. The the other thing that I think a lot of people out of you know going and buying that asset and saying, yeah, we got that piece of equipment that can go ahead and serve your frack fleet is what is the support built around that package so you can deliver your customer excellence. If I go and buy a package from somebody that doesn't have strategic spares set up from you know preventative maintenance, strategic spares for a gas turbine or a reciprocating engine, and there's not technicians are readily available to support that equipment, I'm doing myself as a business as well as my customer a disservice by you know essentially agreeing to take an asset that is going to be really really tough to support. So you're based, you're a service business at yes. the end of the day. Okay, if I drive to Midland in a year, am I going to see an amp yard with a bunch of mechanics sitting around there ready to go out and service stuff? Is that the ultimate model? Yes. Okay. Yep. And how do you how many? What's the optimal number of facilities that you have? I mean, is it is it for one for like each how, you, how do you, how do you yeah. roll that out? I mean, do you, are you looking at leasing properties now to build out the yards, or where are we there? Um, I mean, you definitely need to have a location in, in any of the basins that we're going to be operating. Right. right? Um, it's not a huge location because what we're talking about in terms of strategic spares, inventory, um, and personnel, most of the personnel is, is on site with the unit. Okay. We don't ever leave the unit. Right. So we keep talking about leasing an asset and right. it, that word um, kind of bugs me a little bit because we're, we're not leasing an asset. We're not letting no. you take an asset and go do whatever Disappear you want. Disappear with it, right? yeah. So that's why we use contract power generation. It is truly a service. So we will be with the assets 24-7. We're going to help mobilize them. We're going to help commission them. We're always going to have an operator there. We're going to do all the maintenance. Um, we, we even are going to be handling um, gas coming in. So all the gas skid with all these gas turbines 
um, that will do some level of conditioning yep. on field gas. So it's truly gas in, power out, and there's a couple of different assets in between there. But you're not just leasing, you know, a DT35 and this and this. That's not how we're going to market. Mm -hmm. It's you give us this type of gas, we we'll give you 35 megawatts of power. And then when you want need it to come back to Houston or wherever to get serviced, it it doesn't necessarily Absolutely. stay in the field. It will. I mean, it's it's on wheels, right? It, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Got it. And then the, the, the person that is out on location with it at all times, are they electrical engineer background? Ta talk about that. What experience, what does that person have to know? So what, why don't you take that question? Yeah, I mean, most of the folks that we look at have electrical or controls background. Okay. Um, so the, the vast majority of what you're dealing with when you're operating a gas turbine is, is the controls or um, some of the electrical equipment. And so their primary focus has probably been some level of controls or electrical background but then some level of familiarity with um, power generation assets, obviously, gas turbines or engines specifically, so that they can be a little bit of a jack of all trades in terms of performing some level of uh, preventative maintenance on the uh -huh. unit. You know, that's that's not anything super extensive. It's, you know, filters and oil changes and things like that. So the primary background, though, is making sure that they can operate the turbine, which is mostly controls and, and electrical background. Okay. And we've got a pretty extensive, between our family of, of companies, John and Bill, a, a training program that okay. these guys go through That's to be able to, you know, learn the the way of our business, right? They have to understand how to operate our equipment, how to maintain it. We've got different digital tools and solutions that are used to actually monitor and manage this equipment remotely. Right. That way we understand at all times where the asset's located, what the current health is, are there any errors that we're seeing and can provide that remote operational support to those folks on location as well. Okay. And that's based out of Houston. Yes. And then my last question, we're bumping up against time here. Yeah. Do you think, you know, three to five years from now, the utility industry looks at you as a competitor or as a takeout <laughs> candidate? Like, how do you, what do you think their view of you is, and it's not yeah. just you, it's you being the, the Mobile bunch of UPS power. that are yeah. doing what you're doing. No, I think they look at us as a, as a potential vendor to yeah. them, quite honestly. I mean, everybody's familiar with some of these larger utility deals where they've gone and gotten supplemental power right. during mm -hmm. the summer or now even during the winter. Right. So, you know, sometimes I think they, they maybe sigh a little bit of relief because there's more power coming that can help firm up the grid. It's not good for any of these utilities when we experience the yeah. what we've been coming up against in Texas for the last several years and the, the minimal margin we see every single summer and now in the winter. So I think they see us as um, support, honestly, um, yeah. and a potential vendor to help them firm up their operations. So mobile power for them could be a great opportunity during the summer or during winter times or even as emergency opportunities pop up. So we, we have several relationships with utilities that I don't see they see, think they see us as a threat at all. Okay. Mm. okay. And then the other, the other side of the coin, if – the utility is going to continue to raise prices, mm -hmm. right? You mm -hmm. know, I mean, look at your electricity built at your house. Yep. They've been pretty steep for the past two years. Um, so we also see that customers might want to control their destiny and say, you know what? I've got all this gas and obviously I get it at a really great rate because it's, you know, a byproduct of me getting oil out of the ground. Why not just self-generate electricity? have an agreement with accelerated mobile power to, you know, deliver you high availability, reliability mm -hmm. that, you know, is close to what the grid could provide. And then you don't have to rely on the utility at that point. Right. Very exciting. Okay. Mm, interesting. Well, that's about it, guys. Yeah. I appreciate your time. If, uh, 
anything that we've missed that we'd like to final final point you'd like to convey to the audience or no i think we just appreciate you guys coming out here and we're excited to uh introduce amp to uh the industry and hopefully help electrify a, a bunch of oil and gas operations all right thank you all very much yeah thanks guys thank you fellas